Bibles, Luke chapter 1, and uh, we're going to unpack this story that we just uh, looked at uh, on the screen, and of course it's the story of Zechariah, Elizabeth, and uh, the birth of John the Baptist, and so we're going to go through our outline and then look at some application truths for our lives this morning, so let's jump into it uh, from Luke chapter 1, and uh, Dr. Luke gives us the setting uh, beginning in verse uh, 5 of Luke chapter 1. In the time of Herod, king of Judea. So this is when King Herod was on the throne. There's a lot of Herods in the Bible. This is Herod the Great. Herod the Great was not a very nice person. Uh, the only the other time he's mentioned in Scripture, Matthew chapter 2, uh, after the birth of Jesus, he felt very threatened. And so what does he do? He puts out an edict in Bethlehem. All baby boys two years and younger are to be murdered. And there was great weeping in uh, in Bethlehem uh, during uh, that time period. Uh, this was not a very nice man. Uh, so here, Herod the Great is uh, is on the, the throne, ruling over Judea. And now we're introduced to a priest. Uh, his name is Zechariah. says he's from the priestly division of Abijah. Uh, what's that all about? Well, back in the days of King David... A thousand years previous, and you can look at this in First Chronicles 24, King David organized all the priests of Israel. And he organized them and listed them into 24 separate divisions. And so Zechariah is a part of the division belonging to Abijah uh, that was organized under uh, King David a thousand years earlier. And then we're introduced to his wife. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. So Elizabeth was part of the, the priestly line as well. So uh, we read a little bit about their character. Verse 6, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. These were godly people. Uh, these were godly people who faithfully served God and loved God, obeyed his rules, obeyed his commandments, but now we come to verse 7, and verse 7 starts with that little word, but. And here's the problem. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. One of the things we learn from Scripture, and we learn it very early on, that godliness does not give you immunity to suffering. And sometimes we think because we love God, because we serve God, because we worship God, we're a follower of Jesus. We're not going to suffer. We're not going to go through hard times. Uh, the book of Job dispels that rumor. And so here's a, a, a godly couple, a priest and his wife, Elizabeth, and they love God and they serve God, and yet they are struggling with the pain of childlessness. Childlessness. It's actually a very common but unspoken uh problem and challenge in our world today. Did a little research about uh, couples that have trouble con conceiving a child. Approximately one in eight couples are affected by infertility in the United States. That's 6.7 million people. Uh, the pain of wanting a child and not being able to have a child is a very real pain that we need to um, be very sensitive to in our world and our culture. And it was even more so back in the first century. Because in the first century, in the days of Elizabeth and um, Zechariah, childlessness was looked on as a judgment of God. 
And so there must be something wrong in your life that you would not be able to, to bear a child. Barren women would often be shunned, would often be looked down upon. There are many stories in the scripture of, of women who were not able to conceive. Uh, Rachel uh, was married to Jacob, and uh, uh, Rachel in Genesis chapter 30, verse 1, in her uh, struggle for uh, conceiving a child, it says, Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, that's the, the thir- chapter 31, let me get to chapter 30, when Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. We know the story of Hannah in the Old Testament, that Hannah desperately wanted a child. And here she is in the, um, in the tabernacle and she's praying and she's weeping bitterly and asking God to bless her with a child. And of course, God answered that prayer in, uh, in, in Samuel. So here's this uh, couple. And they're a godly couple. They desperately want to have children, and Elizabeth is barren. There's one other um, factor here, and it's the last six words of verse 7. Dr. Luke records, and they were both very old. So how, how long had they been trying to have children? Well, a long, long, long time. And now they're, they're in their uh, older years. And they still have no children. Well, that leads us to uh, the surprise, and we saw it on on the screen. So let's look at, uh, that's the setting, let's look at the surprise. Verses 8 and 9, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now we read that and we're familiar with that story, but let me tell you, this is a really, really big deal. This is a once-in-a-lifetime experience for a priest to be chosen to go into the holy place and offer this incense offering sacrifice to God. Remember, we said there's 24 divisions of priests. Historians estimate that at this time in Israel's history, there were 20,000 priests. I did the math. That's about 830 priests in each division. And so the, the privilege of being chosen, and it would only happen once in a lifetime, not everybody would get this honor of being chosen to go in and offer this burnt offering sacrifice to God in the holy place was the highlight of a priest's life. And so it says the lot fell on Zechariah to have the high honor, the high privilege, the once-in-a-lifetime experience of going into the holy place and offering this incense. And so uh, Zechariah is chosen. And of course, uh, we heard the story and we uh, read through the text, verses 10 through 17, uh, that I, I won't read it again, but I'll just summarize it. There he is offering that incense sacrifice, and all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord appears, and Zechariah is afraid. God has not intervened in human history for 400 years since the close of the Old Testament. There's 400 silent years where there's no divine revelation. There's no angels making an appearance. 
And so 400 years later, all of a sudden, God begins to intervene in human history and an angel appears. No wonder Zechariah was startled and afraid. And he says, Zechariah, your prayers have been answered. And your wife is going to have a child and you're going to call him John. And there's something special about this, this child that you're going to have. He's going to be used of God in a great and mighty way. Well, that leads us to Zechariah's silence. Because Zechariah responded probably in the same way that you and I would have responded if we were in Zechariah's sandals. He asked a question. Now, it's not wrong to ask questions, but Zechariah's question was one of doubt and unbelief. Here's what, how Zechariah responded, verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. So this question was a question of, I don't really believe you. In fact, uh, one of the, the paraphrases in uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this verse, he paraphrases this question with these words, do you expect me to believe this? <laughs> that, that after all these years, we're going to have a child. And notice how the angel Gabriel responds while Zechariah says, I'm a very old man. The angel Gabriel says, I am Gabriel, sent by God, basically, to deliver your message, this message. Uh, the angel said to him, verse 19, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Why? Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the appointed time. Well, let's just read the rest of the, this, this section of the text. It says, Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. And when the time of his service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he will show his favor and has taken away my disgrace among the people. And so Zechariah goes home. His wife becomes pregnant. And the angel Gabriel's message becomes true. You can only imagine it was a little quiet in Zechariah and Elizabeth's household for nine months. I don't know if you ever had laryngitis and not been able to speak for a while. Very, very frustrating. Imagine for nine months not being able to speak. And that was Zechariah's experience until the day that John the Baptist was born. And so let's kind of fast forward through the text. There's a little interlude here. In the meantime, uh, six months later, Gabriel appears to the Virgin Mary and tells her that she's going to conceive and have a, 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 the Messiah. Uh, and so that's taken place. 
And now uh, we pick up the story of John the Baptist, and here it is uh, now the story of the son being born, John the Baptist. Verse 57, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. That was very common. Uh, the naming of a child in Jewish circles didn't take place on the day that they were born. It would be on uh, the day that they were presented in the temple on the eighth day. So here they are. They're ready to name the child. Everybody assumes this is going to be named after the father. His name's going to be Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he's to be called John. And they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. Zechariah asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. And all the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. So here we are, nine months later or so, after the angel appears to Zechariah while he's offering that incense in the holy place. Now John's been born. Now John's been named. And the stage is set for the forerunner, the Messiah, John the Baptist. The last part of our outline is Zechariah's song. We won't take time to read the whole song, but it's found in uh, verse 67 through the end of the chapter, through verse 80. Let me just read a portion of it. It says, His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Remember, he has not spoken or talked for nine months. (laughs) What are his first words? His first words are praise to God. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as he said through the holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies. He goes on to to talk about the mercy that God's showing, the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham to rescue people. And then he talks about John the Baptist's son. And you, my child, verse 76, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine light on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death and to give our guide our feet into the path of peace. That's Zechariah's song of praise after the naming of his son and the birth of his son, John. And then we have one little concluding statement here. Summary statement, verse 80. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. And so uh, that's uh, the story of the birth of John the Baptist. We know that John the Baptist was a little bit of a strange fellow, strange character. He was the ultimate wilderness guy, the outdoorsman. 
says he dressed in, uh, in coats of camel hair, and he ate locusts and honey. He was a back-to-nature guy. And uh, God then began to use him. Then once he became, uh, he began his public ministry, um, God used him to, to prepare the way for people to receive the Messiah. Well, this morning, in this, our last 10 or 15 minutes here, we're going to think about some life lessons uh, from the story of John the Baptist and Zachariah and Elizabeth from Luke chapter 1. And so uh, uh, let's look at these life lessons. The first life lesson is about the power of God. The power of God in, in this story. There are three attributes of God that start with the word omni, which means all. Um, God's omnipresent. He's omniscient. That means all-knowing. And God is omnipotent, all-powerful. His name in Scripture is often referred to as the Lord God Almighty. As we read this story of John the Baptist's birth and the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and a, a couple that had uh, been barren for years and years, were probably well beyond childbearing years, that is no problem for an almighty God. And if an almighty God can also come down on a young virgin by the name of Mary and conceive a, a child, the virgin birth, this is no problem for, for God. This is uh, the New Living Translation, Gabriel to Mary. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born to you will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's now in her sixth month. And then verse 37, some of the translations read, For nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is, why, nothing's impossible with God. Why? Because God is omnipotent. And so Paul, in writing to the Ephesian believers in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, writes these words in his concluding prayer, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And so we need to, we need to be reminded that God is an all-powerful God and nothing's too hard for him. And I don't know what situation in your life you're facing right now where it seems uh, dark, where it seems like the odds are against you, or it seems like uh, you're at a dead end, I need to remind you and I need to remind myself that we serve an all-powerful, omnipotent God and nothing is impossible when you factor God into the equation. He is God Almighty. Well, life lesson number two um, in this story from Luke chapter 1 is the persistence of prayer. The persistence of prayer. Did you notice what the angel Gabriel said to uh, Zechariah there 
in Luke chapter 1, verse 13. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. How long has Zechariah been praying for a child? Apparently, even into his old age, he's still praying for a child. Perhaps he's been praying for 30 years. Perhaps he's been praying for 40 years. But the angel says, your prayer, Zechariah, has been heard. You and your wife, Elizabeth, are going to have a child, a son, and his name is going to be John. I tell you this morning, honestly, that in my prayer life, my problem and difficulty is that I, uh, I I give up a little too easy. And sometimes when we pray about something and we pray for perhaps a few weeks, perhaps a few months, perhaps even longer, and we doesn't seem like God's doing anything, and we get discouraged. We think God's God's written us off and God's not going to hear or answer our prayers. And the scriptures tell us just the opposite. Matthew chapter 7, we read uh, the words of Jesus. What's he say? Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. There's a story in Luke chapter 11 that talks about because of the persistence of a widow's prayer, God answered. And so here we see Zechariah who prayed, uh, perhaps alongside his wife Elizabeth, for year after year, decade after decade. God in his time answered that prayer. And so we can learn from Zechariah and Elizabeth the the persistence of prayer and and not to give up uh, with our, our prayers and our petitions before God. Life lesson number three is this. God has a plan and a purpose for each of our lives. God has a plan and a purpose for each of our lives. Uh, We see this from the the song of Zechariah. When he talks about his child, his eight-day-old child at this time in history, you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. You will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. To give people the knowledge of salvation, God's saying, Zechariah, I have a specific plan and a purpose for this baby, this eight-day-old baby. He's going to be a prophet of mine, and he's going to be the one who's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. I've got a plan and a purpose to prepare the people's hearts for the coming of the Messiah. Jeremiah chapter 1 God says, before I formed you in the womb, Jeremiah, I called you to be a prophet. You know, the same is true in our lives. That God has a plan and a purpose for each of our lives. A lot of it is revealed in Scripture. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. For you are Christ's ambassadors. We beseech you in Christ's stead. Be reconciled to God. What's one of the, if you know Jesus is your Savior, you are called to be what? His representative on planet Earth, his ambassador. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
But then it goes on to say, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, what? To do good works that Christ ordained for our lives. And so just like God had a plan, a specific plan for John the Baptist, God has a specific plan and purpose for your life and my life. And if I could summarize it in one phrase, in one statement, it would be what? To know God and to make him known. That's what God's called us to do. Life lesson number four is the problem of unbelief. The problem of unbelief. We can't study this story without addressing the fact that Zechariah did not initially believe the angel Gabriel. And Zechariah asked a question, but it was a question of not believing God and not believing God's messenger. How can I be sure of this? Or the, the paraphrase, this can't be true. And so uh, we need to be reminded that we have an enemy who wants to um, keep us from exercising faith. And his name is Satan, and part of his strategy is doubt in our lives. Uh, we go to Genesis chapter 3, and uh, he addresses uh, Eve in the garden, and he says, Hath God really said... As God really said, he begins to operate through doubt and through deception. And so uh, what we need to make sure that we believe God's word and the truth of God's word, not necessarily our feelings or our emotions because they will lead us astray, but we need to stand firm, especially when we're going through difficulty and challenges on the truth of God's word and his promises to us. I will provide all of your needs according to my riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Promise after promise after promise. And so uh, the problem of unbelief, we need to believe God and his word and stand firm on it. Lastly, the last life lesson is this, and it comes from Zechariah's song at the end of the chapter. Here it is, number five. Don't forget to praise. Don't forget to praise. And so here's Zechariah. He's not spoken for at least nine months. His son John's born. They give him the name John, and now he's able to speak. And after nine months of not being able to speak, the first words out of his mouth are found. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. Isn't it interesting? It's our natural inclination really is sometimes to uh, complain, to not be grateful. What's God want us to do, not just during a week of Thanksgiving, but... 365 days, 24-7, God wants us to operate on praise. Psalm 119, verse 164, the psalmist writes, seven times a day I praise you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, the author of Hebrews 
uh, writes these words from Hebrews thirteen fifteen. Therefore, through Jesus, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of his lips that openly profess his name. Ephesians chapter 6, keep on being filled with the Spirit. And as we're filled with the Spirit, what are we to to do? What's one of the evidences of being Spirit-filled? Ephesians, uh, actually chapter chapter 5, being filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so here's our reminder uh, from the life of Zechariah. Do not forget to praise. John the Baptist is born, and about 30 years later, he comes out of that wilderness and he begins his public ministry And he begins to point to a person that comes on the scene. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God. He's right there. He's the one who's going to take away the sins of the world. So I want you to remember this morning, God's an all-powerful God. Whatever problem you're facing, it's not too hard for God. I want to encourage you to be persistent in your prayer life. And be like Zachariah and Elizabeth, not to give up but to keep on praying, to recognize that God has a specific plan and purpose for your life, to choose faith and not unbelief, and to always respond with praise. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this story in Luke chapter 1, that after 400 silent years, you again began to enter into human history and began to set the plan in motion for the arrival of Jesus, the Savior of the world. And Lord, I thank you that uh, we can trust in a God who is not a God who is limited but who is an unlimited God. Lord, help us to be faithful and persistent in our prayers. Lord, help us not to to give up or for praying for a a wayward son, a wayward daughter, uh, uh, people in our lives that have not yet come to know Christ as our Savior, people that need your healing touch, marriages that need to be restored. Lord, help us to be persistent in prayer. Lord, help us to trust you and and the power of your word and your promises. And then, Lord, help us to always, always remember to continually give you praise. And, Lord, we will give you the thanks, and we will give you the praise for all that you will do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.